a lot of times people have to retire early or find a, a desk job or something else because their bodies just physically can't take it anymore. So giving them something where they can stay in the job that they like to do and all of those years of knowledge to be able to keep them in that, to be able to educate the younger workforce is also powerful. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Megan Kennelly. She is B2B marketing expert with an innate passion for introducing cutting edge technology to businesses and serves as the head of global marketing at German Bionic. This European robotics firm leads the industry in developing and production smart power suits and wearable technologies. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, looking forward to it. So we're talking about some some pretty cool tech, but before we dive into that, how'd you get into the industry? So I've always sort of been in B2B, IT kind of startup companies, and I just was really interested in the technology and had a, a conversation with them when I was looking for a new role. And it was kind of uh, hard to say no to something as cool as this. So I uh, definitely got into uh, more of the exoskeleton world with my background, having served in those intersections of software and hardware devices in the past. So mm -hmm. kind of relate to that, but the industry was actually fairly new to me. So I've learned a ton and kind of taking a bird's eye view to get the word out there that this stuff exists because before the conversation, I had no idea. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing about construction tech is that uh, a lot of people don't know the extent of technology that's actually here in the industry. Yeah. It's always changing and there's always stuff out there that you would have no idea is being used today too. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of gripped you uh, about the exoskeleton technology and uh, this industry to come over and make your way in here? Yeah, I think just from the cool factor, the mm. idea of an Iron Man-esque suit being worn for work was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but I think really what stood out to me the most was the human factor of it. And when you talk to the people at the, the organization and when I was talking with some of the developers from the back end, you really see the passion that they are always thinking about the user and they're always focused on their safety, that they want to actually wear this device and that they're doing good for them. So I think mm -hmm. that was what really shone through when I was making the decision to come over. And it, it just was incredible to hear the mission behind it too. Yeah, that's awesome. A anything surprise you that you weren't expecting about this industry? Oh, surprise, that's interesting. Um, I was kind of surprised at the amount of use cases that there were for it. So when I first was looking into it myself, I was like, okay, I get it for like logistics and warehouses where they're having to move boxes all the time. But when you really dive into it and starting to look at things like construction or like healthcare workers that actually have to move people instead of boxes, that was kind of a surprise to me where I was like, oh, this thing really could be used in a variety of, of places. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. So let's kind of dig in a, a bit. So, you know, smart power suits have, have really gained a ton of attention for the potential, you know, as your reference for the Iron Man. I, I love that uh, illustration to help enhance the human capabilities with really physically demanding jobs. Can you share some insights into the current kind of state of AI robotic technology within the, the realm of exoskeleton? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when you first think about exoskeletons, you imagine that Iron Man suit where it's like this full body suit. But when you really dive into what's on the market, I think it's less of that and more focused exoskeletons. Mm -hmm. You have exoskeletons that are focused on the lower back like ours. You have ones that are focused on upper arm movements for people that are having to do prolonged work above their head. Um, you have ones for sitting while you're standing. So there's a variety of ones that are out there, but mm -hmm. I think it's also important to know the difference between them. So there's passive systems, which use things like strings and pulley systems in your own body energy. And then there's powered systems that use batteries and motors like ours does to actually be able to support and give you that added power. So there's a few different options and each has their own use cases and benefits. But um, I think that's definitely something that is kind of a misconception, especially when you're just talking about it in general. Uh, it's really not the full body. It's super targeted because that's where we can really attack the certain use cases and provide value for the people in their jobs. Mm -hmm. So how should people kind of start the the journey of research and, and figuring out what makes the most sense for their specific use case and what they're trying to Yeah. So I think definitely looking at the use case, looking at what you're lifting too. So think of like an Amazon where they're maybe lifting things that are lighter throughout the day. Um, things like phone cases or clothing, that kind of stuff still could be useful for support, but maybe not something that you need the added power for. So mm. something like a passive system would be perfect for that. But then if you're looking at something where you're having to lift 30 to 50 pounds continuously throughout the day, that's something where you might want to look for a little bit more of a support with an exoskeleton. So definitely looking at the use case, finding areas where it's repetitive um, lifting is also important. If you're just doing one lift, maybe every 15 minutes, it might not be worthy of wearing a device like that. So I think what we try to do is come in and look at the use case, what you're lifting, what kind of lifts you're doing. So for ours specifically, any lifts that come from your shoulder to the ground or to the ground to your shoulders is our sort of sweet spot because we focus on the lower back. Or if you're doing things like prolonged bending, we can also support that. So we kind of try to address what your specific use case is, what you're lifting to see if it's going to be a fit, or if it's not, maybe recommend another one of those systems that we talked about. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. So one of the kind of big advantages of uh, exoskeleton is the ability to help reduce workplace injuries and create that, that safety there. Uh, how have you seen the adoption of uh, exoskeletons really positively impact the safety of workers in the industries? Yeah, I think from a personal like user level, it's interesting and kind of gratifying to hear them say like, I can now go home after working a shift and be able to actually spend time with my family or do the hobbies that I like to enjoy. Whereas before I'm going home and I might have a backache and I just want to lay on the couch and sort of ice it or recover mm -hmm. from the day. 
But I think from like a company level, you can also look at things like a reduction in sick days. People are having to take sick days because they're in pain and they can't come to work. Um, also looking at like workers' comp claims. Um, people are often getting injuries from this type of work. So seeing a reduction in that is also nice to see. And just sort of seeing like the overall, we say like mindset of workers too, where I think like they actually enjoy coming to work and feel appreciated because mm -hmm. the company is investing in technology that's going to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything, any trend lines on uh, helping to, you know, reach out to, to people that maybe aren't your, your classic uh, demo for construction or helping people stay in the, the job maybe longer than what they, they physically would be without it? Absolutely. I think from the older generation standpoint, it's nice to be able to keep them in the jobs longer. A lot of times people have to retire early or find a, a desk job or something else because their bodies just physically can't take it anymore. So giving them something where they can stay in the job that they like to do and all of those years of knowledge to be able to keep them in that, to be able to educate the younger workforce mm -hmm. is also powerful, but it's also opening the opportunity for people that might not traditionally be in manual labor fields. Women, historically, not a huge um, target audience for manual labor. So if we can give them a tool to level the playing field a bit, then it's giving more job opportunities and um, helping with staffing issues too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the HR side, uh, what kind of HR benefits are, are crucial there for kind of retaining the, the skilled workforce? And maybe have you observed any HR policies then that help uh, or that should be adapted to accommodate for the integration of exoskeletons coming into the workplace? Yeah, less on the policies, I think. Um, from an HR perspective, they're definitely using it as an attraction tool, a retention mm -hmm. tool to kind of say like, hey, would you rather work for a company that's investing in technology that we want to keep our people happy and safe? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to work for a company that is willing to just sacrifice your body for productivity? But I think when it comes to like getting HR involved could be maybe the mindset, like once you're deploying an exoskeleton, it definitely, it's a change, right? It's change management. You're introducing a new tool into their task that they're not used to. It does take some education and some consistency and some practice of just becoming used to wearing something. Like when it, when it comes to wearing something on your body, like, it, there is that personal element and people are different and they have different attitudes toward it, towards it. So just like having that change management aspect within the company is also important to make sure that it's successful. People understand why you're doing it and that it's for them and for their long-term safety. The industry is struggling with a communication problem and a lack of interoperability. This is causing 25% of data being recreated and almost $300 billion loss due to bad communication. Great Tech Group believes that is a problem. So they created Data Connect, an easy to use, no code platform that connects critical ERP systems with cost management to form a single source of truth to empower better communication, decision-making, and project efficiency. Delivering the ultimate business outcome of being on time and on budget Visit asti.com slash data connect to start saving time and money.
Mm-hmm. That's interesting on the, the change management side. It, it comes up all the time uh, when we're talking tech. Uh, so how, how, have, how have you seen that change management process go in, in companies as they, they're bringing on exoskeletons? Are, are people kind of excited about it or like, I don't really know what to think about it? And how's that go? Yeah, it's something that our customer success team has definitely dived into and I think have learned throughout the, the process of it because mm-hmm. yes, there's that initial excitement of like, oh, I want to try this. But then maybe if you're not consistent with it, you're like, eh, that was cool for day one, but it's just quicker for me to do my job. And I think like when you think about it, the boardroom people aren't like, okay, posture, I'm going to sit up. It's like we tend to take the easy route as humans. So I think part of what we do is the onboarding process and getting our customer success team in there with a plan in place where it's like, okay, wear it for an hour the first day, let your body get used to it. Then maybe two hours the next day, three hours the day after that, putting in some gamification and we're developing some apps that will help the users sort of be able to share accomplishments. Like, hey, I'm going to go home today and tell my family that I lifted 200 elephants today or something like that where it's kind of changing the mindset of this is something that I want to wear every day. I know it's protecting me, even if it might take 20 more seconds in my day to put it on and go throughout my job. Yeah. I, I love the the gamification aspect of it and, and making it more fun and relatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all conditioned to a lot of little rewards so we can earn some badges or um, have some competitions amongst your team of who lifted the most that day. I think it just helps uh, in that HR like motivation factor. Yeah. And it helps us freakishly competitive people want to really go after it. <laughs> I, I like that. Any any competition, I'm I'm game for. <laughs> uh, how have you seen the the lines blur in perception of exoskeletons really becoming kind of PPE uh, instead of just a, a tech? It's it's really that uh, protective equipment. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that is that conversation. Like, is it PPE? Is it not? Mm-hmm. And I think. We had a conversation this morning, which interestingly enough was around like standardization processes and different organizations and associations Mm. out there that are starting to do testing to be able to determine is this PPE or can the unions uh, demand that people wear this like a hard hat or steel toed boots. And I think that just comes with time too. Um, There are some standardization bodies out there like ASTM that have come very far in the testing of exoskeleton devices. But again, when you have that human element, it does bring in a change that needs to be addressed. Different body types, um, lifting of different size packages, that kind of stuff, lifting humans versus lifting boxes. So there's Mm -hmm. more that needs to come, I think, from a testing perspective and a, a data perspective to be able to certify certain devices as PPE versus not. It's one of those topics that gets brought up a lot in the industry of, yeah, we can call it PPE. And I think absolutely it it could be categorized as PPE, similar to a safety vest, but it's the whole back end of making it like that official check mark that it can be certified as PPE. Yeah. Do you think that there's any kind of specific implications for worker safety if it is officially labeled as, as PPE? Um, I don't think so. I think the only caveat is that 
every single worker might not need it. Like we talked about, there's certain use cases mm -hmm. where it fits and it definitely um, is effective and valuable, but there's also use cases where it's not. And I think if it becomes PE, PPE where it's required, you're going to see that mindset again of like, well, why would I wear this if I'm not doing heavy, like continuous mm -hmm. lifting throughout the day? So I think it becomes that thing of like, where does it need to be standardized and where does it not? So that's something that I think would have to be discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what about on the, the impact of insurance premiums and, and worker comp another, costs? Another hot topic that yeah, I bet. <laughs> something that I think is coming and it's been brought up. We've had a few conversations with different um, insurance companies, but it's still like, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that absolutely could be something where you get a reduction in your premium because it's again that like let's call it quote unquote ppe where you're mitigating risk for workers comp claims but again how do we quantify that without the standard standardization in process where it's across the board that every manufacturer is following and it's all aligned so it's like what comes first the chicken or the egg um the insurance claims or the insurance premium reductions or the standardization to be able to quantify what that looks like and standardize it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Where, where, what should come first and, and how do we kind of make progress on that? I think the standardization is definitely something that needs to come first. And like I said, it's in progress, but it's not something that every single manufacturer is involved in or following. So once we can kind of align from that baseline, I think it becomes easier for insurance companies to be able to quantify like what that should look like. Because again, you're mm -hmm. comparing a passive system to a powered system. There needs to be differentiators for both of those because they do different things and they operate differently and they're used for different use cases. So I think with standardization and classification of the exoskeletons, it's just going to become easier for insurance companies to have like a, almost like a drop down, if you will, like if it's this and you deploy this for this use case, we can offer you X discount on your premium kind of thing. Mm -hmm. On the standardization, is it the tech companies kind of coming together and, and helping to standardize, or is it the, the industry kind of demanding the standardization and figuring out what they want and forcing tech? I think it's both. Um, Definitely manufacturers are involved in those conversations. And I think a lot of them stem from workplace safety or robotics um, testing kind of standardization associations. But it's also the big companies who want the standardization and the testing to be able to validate like the use case or the different devices that mm -hmm. are kind of working together to be like, okay, well, how can we compare X device first, Y device. So it's kind of a combination of all three, the company, the manufacturer, and the third party that's going to be unbiased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back and start kind of looking at it from the, the bigger picture vantage point. So let's say exoskeletons, they're, they're coming in, they're, they're getting widely uh, adopted. Uh, is, is it a stepping stone do you see to robotics coming in more prevalent to, you know, a construction job site or manufacturing factory? Um, I think so. I kind of like to call it like a hybrid 
uh, uh -huh. robotic solution. I mean, you're seeing more and more automation coming into manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure the construction industry as well. But where we can offer sort of like, I mean, this, this podcast is called Bridging the Gap. I mean, it's bridging the gap between the human and the fully automated solution where we're trying mm -hmm. to keep people in their jobs. We want to keep them safe. So I think more and more technology that can come out there that's actually benefiting the human worker and trying to keep them in their jobs is a win-win for workers and everyone else because it's still providing value. And I think in an area where construction definitely relies on that talent and the skill that the human worker is bringing, that's where the combination of human and technology can mm -hmm. just continue to support the growing field. The Advancing Prefabrication Summit 2024 will unite over 1,200 of the brightest minds in prefab and modular construction this February for four days of exclusive case studies, knowledge sharing, and networking. Don't miss out on joining this event in Denver to take your industrialized construction to the next level in 2024 and beyond. There's content for all levels of experience and knowledge. So whether you have an established prefab program or you're looking to find out about the latest innovations or you're just starting out on your industrialized construction journey, you can't afford to miss out. For more information, just Google Advancing Prefabrication 2024 or visit the website at advancing-prefabrication.com. Finally, use the promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount just for being a listener. We will be recording live again this year from the show. See you there. Yeah, we're going into the the, the cobot kind of space, and uh, how do you have you got come across the uh, any pushback of like uh, I don't know this makes me uh, uneasy because it's maybe that slippery slope of of taking over my job. How, how do you kind of fight against the the technology aspect of it? Yeah, we definitely get that a lot, and I think like. It's interesting to see my, part of my job is like the education of mm -hmm. these types of things and that they exist. And I think it's funny you see some of the comments on maybe like a TikTok video, like this is just trying to make people uh, more productive and companies just want them to like output more. And it's it's hard to go against some of those arguments. I mean, you, you try and say like, hey, this is our mission. We want to protect people. We want to keep them safe. But it's a human nature again to just be the negative thoughts uh that are out there and just trying to combat those so it's out there but i think the more and more that people become aware that these things are being used and why they're being used and what they're being used for will help mm. combat some of that like negative feedback mm -hmm. yeah i mean for the record i totally agree <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think there's a huge uh education uh gap if you will uh that that's needed uh, around a ton of technology in in construction tech isn't as uh as scary as you know it's it's more the change manager people they don't like to change they want somebody else to change right and, and uh, in this day and age like everything is changing so it's i get yeah. like it's stuff that one you didn't even know existed and two now you want me to wear this all day long and be like this human robot like i get it but i think it's just part of our jobs to continue to educate on technology and bring it down to the level and the industry specifically and like why it's being used. Yeah. 
Agreed. Is there kind of a, a an easy first step for people to to take if they they kind of want to start dipping their their toe into it? Yeah, I think the best thing I can say is to actually try it. What I like to do at a lot of the trade shows is just do a quick demo. And mm -hmm. sometimes you get the people that are like, no, 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 I don't want to try it. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, but there's this mis misconception that when you put it on, the device is going to like move you around and all of a sudden right. it's like going to be uh, <laughs> playing a microchip yeah. in your skull or something. <laughs> I always like give my spiel about their sensors in the device. You're the one that is controlling it. So when you move forward and you move back, the device is following you. You could bend over like you're going to do a list and stop halfway up and the device is going to stop with you. So that's usually what I try to do is like, okay, bend over slowly, come back up slowly. You'll feel a little bit of the pull up on the harness. And then mm -hmm. I say, okay, now do it again, but stop halfway. And mm -hmm. when they stop halfway, they're like, oh, okay. Like I'm in control. So I think yeah. just getting over that gap of this thing is going to flail me all around you. I'm going to lose control. It's that control factor. I mean, people like to be in control. And when you think about robotics and wearing something that's attached to you, yeah, sure, it can be scary. So I think just overcoming that initial fear, it definitely opens up the eyes and then like, okay, I, I want to see what this thing can do. Mm -hmm. And then there's there's less of that hesitation. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. Are there any kind of notable success stories that you like to to point to that demonstrate the the real cool tangible benefits of bringing in exoskeletons? Yeah, I mean we have a bunch of them. They're all on our website to check out. One of them that I recently got to go on site and do a case study for was up in Canada with Canadian Tire. So I have been referencing that one the most just because it was nice for me to actually be on site and see the full thing come to life. They yeah. just recently, with one of their flagship stores, did a complete renovation of the, the entire retail store, but also the warehouse. So they basically like tripled in size and put a complete automation system in the back for some of their conveyor lines. But there was still gaps in the areas where they still had people um, having to do heavy lifting. So in particular, when they get the truckloads in the morning of all the retail items, they still need to take all of that retail item off of the truck and put it onto the automated conveyor system. And that person every single morning is having to do that manual labor. And so they were looking for something to fill that gap, if you will. And I think that's kind of a nice visualization of the hybrid automation that I like to talk about where it's, mm -hmm. okay, you have your automated system, but there's still gaps in there that need to be filled with manual labor. So if we can come in there and be that sort of bridge of keeping them safe, but keeping mm -hmm. them in the job that's needed, that's where I think it's it's cool to see it kind of come to life in an actual like warehouse setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great example. Uh, so looking kind of at your crystal ball, looking into the future, what innovations or developments do you see in the field of exoskeletons and kind of their integration in with manual labor industries? Yeah, I think from a use case perspective, like we talked about in the beginning, I think there's far more use cases that still need to be tried. I mean, we've worked with a few airports with baggage carriers. We're now getting into the healthcare industry for um, like retirement homes where we're having to move patients. So I'm interested to see where that's going to evolve. And then one thing we didn't even touch on was the capabilities that we have from the data collection. So mm. I mentioned there are sensors that follow the body, but there's also sensors in there that collect data. 
So it's collecting ergonomic data, like how many lifts you did, how much weight you uh, compensated for, how many steps you took, how many of your lifts were good lifts versus bad lifts. And I think there's a lot of AI that's driven in there that's starting to recognize trends that can say, um, we're starting to notice that your lifting has become a little bit more poor throughout the hour. Maybe now's a good time to take a break. So I'm mm. curious to see like what else can be built in from an AI perspective or from the data collection perspective to to help change the workplace, to be a, an additional tool to keep people safe, start to identify areas that might need to be changed from an environment perspective or a training perspective so that we can not just provide that like physical tool, but also the data to help make everyone else safe too. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I, I love the the AI component and the, the sensors coming cool. into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, right, is it now that the, the sensors can kind of tell you of like, hey, maybe you, you take a break or you think that's coming in? Yeah. So that's one of the features that they have now. I know that's that awesome. they're starting to like look at some of the trend lines and the data from the devices that are out there to see what else they could implement with the AI and starting mm-hmm. to identify like, okay, what are these other fatigue levels where we can notify without being annoying um, that maybe now is a good time to take a break or, hey, this is like really bad behavior. Something needs to change kind of thing. So like those red flags to also be a a mitigator of risk. Yeah, that's cool. It's like having your own little co-pilot. I like it. I like it. Uh, well, as we start to kind of land the plane, a couple kind of rapid fire questions for you. <laughs> uh, what, what do you see as the the next step in the kind of industrialization of the industry at large? So God, I mean, everyone talks about industry 4.0, industry 5.0, and all of those things. Um, I think like smart warehouses and being able to connect all these devices would be the next step that I'd be interested in seeing and Mm -hmm. kind of creating the full picture of all of these different technology tools into one spot would be very interesting. Yeah. Nice. What does modeling the future mean and what does that look like to you? Um, Modeling the future. I think being open to technology, we talked about the whole mindset thing. I think being willing to take a chance on some of these new technologies, integrating them into your workplace and giving feedback so that other people can just continue to evolve the workplace and make it safer and happier and better. Nice. What does innovation mean to you? Um, Innovation. I think, again, being open to new ideas and acting on them and doing tests to figure out what you can do to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Cool. Couple more. Uh, this one is a softball. Where do people find out more information and connect with you? Okay. This is, this is an easy one. Uh, <laughs> JarvinBionic.com. Or like I said, we're all over uh, social media with videos, did you knows, that kind of uh, cool content. So you can check us out there at JarvinBionic. Awesome. And last question. If I could give you all power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry what would you pick to innovate? I mean, I thought you were going to say like, if I had one power, I was going to like teleport. Um, oh, that's a good power. <laughs> or fly. Hmm. I think, oh, that's a tough one. 
I think if we could have some sort of exoskeleton that could be able to compensate more weight would be great. I mean, we compensate for up to 66 pounds, but to be able to actually like lift a car or something would be very cool. Yeah. Nice. Really bring the Iron Man fully in. You know, totally. Coming back, this is the, kind of the Thanos question. So yep. it's this is a whole Avengers theme episode. I like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Megan, thanks so much for taking the time and coming in to the show and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. To effectively integrate technology into your business, first, clearly define the problem you're aiming to solve. Conduct thorough research on available options to ensure the technology you choose aligns perfectly with your business processes and goals. Second take, exoskeletons hold immense potential for revolutionizing workplace dynamics. They not only enhance worker safety and well-being, but also level the playing field in labor markets, reflecting a company's dedication to investing in their employees' health and safety. And final take, the advancement of industry technologies hinges on a willingness to embrace change and explore new possibilities. Keeping an open mind and being ready to test new technologies are crucial steps in successfully navigating and leading change management in any organization. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Gray Tech Group at asdi.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2024.